Pastor Xavier Reese and the power of the Word of God. The repeated command formula, then God said eight times, verse 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, 26. God said this was to be the pattern and formula for God's dealing with man from Adam to the present day. God speaks and the Spirit brings it about. They go hand in hand. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Evolution requires chaos, but the Bible tells us, for God is not a God of confusion. Well, today, as he continues this series from the book of Genesis, Pastor Xavier makes the case for a divinely created world under the masterful hand of our Lord. Let's join him for today's important message, One Creation or Two. The first verse of Genesis 1 here, as we've seen, is the declarative statement of God having created the heavens and the earth. The entire cosmos described by the time of creation, the God of creation, and the totality of creation. The second verse of Genesis 1 here describes the state of the earth before the first divine command was given in the process of creation in the rest of chapter 1. Let me read here the verse. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here's the three perspectives. The earth was uninhabited. That's the first portion. Secondly, the deep was uninhabited. And the third and last, the Spirit of God was the agent to make it habitable. Real simple. That's what the verse is saying. Now, let's walk through it and see if this is true, what it's saying. The deep was uninhabited, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The darkness is represented here for the first time in the revelation of God. First time it appears. The word certainly is describing literal darkness. The light had not been called forth until verse 3 of Genesis here, chapter 1. The light bearers, reflectors, for the benefit of man, for signs, seasons, and days, and years, to divide the day from the night, are presented then in verse 14 and 19 as he moves on in the process of creation. Now, the word darkness is also used figuratively for judgment, as you know, in the Scriptures, evil and death throughout the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. Exodus 10, 21 for judgment, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, and there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which no man, has, that man can feel. Okay? In Isaiah 50, verse 10, for evil, it says, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in, my, in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. For death, before I go, to the place from which I return, to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, Job 10.21. So, as you can see, the context is going to tell you whether it's literal or whether it's being used figuratively to teach something literal. Though the darkness is used for death, the death is literal, right? 
So the context is going to tell you how it's being used. All the verses telling us is the state and the condition of the earth. That's all it's telling us. Now notice also the darkness is said to be in the face of the deep. And the word deep means the primordial ocean with its depth appearing some 36 times in the Old Testament. This is consistent in its use, even in the creation and the flood. Listen, in the 600 years of Noah's life, in the second month, in the seventh day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the great deep were broken open, there it is, and the windows of heaven were open, Genesis 7:11. So it's used as the waters. Subterranean waters, but here in Genesis, the waters that covered the earth. Genesis 8, 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were open, were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. There you have the opposite, but it's still talking about those waters. The deep, same word. Notice the face, which means the presence of the deep ocean here was covering the earth, and it was without form and void. Okay. Then God commanded the third day, in verse 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered, as we saw. In verse 10, he separates them from the seas. He calls the earth, earth, seas, seas. Have you ever um, seen a precious stone in the rough? It does not display its potential brilliance until it is cut, shaped, and formed into the jewel that it's intended to be. And so, here the creation of the earth. It's in its rough. The Bible will continue this consistent pattern of darkness and form in the life of people, nations, when God is personally not active in their lives. This is the beginning. This is the principles that are being set. Without God, it's just matter. God creates. God gives shape. Genesis 2, 15 and 17, we will see the first mention there after this where in the garden, Adam and Eve chose to live disobedient lives by the commands that he gave to him. Where they go back? They go back to being void, empty, formless. They're not lined up with God. They have to confess their sins later on, chapter 3, verse 12 through 13. To be reconciled to God. Get back in line. So that their life could have meaning again. Purpose. Uh, write down Leviticus 26. And Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Because in that covenant. That God through Moses makes with the children of Israel. It is the blessings and cursings. That God would bring upon them. Blessing if they obey. Cursings if they disobey. And how was the judgment? Listen, listen. It was by his word, Revelation, Genesis. And he would stop the early and latter rains, would not give water for their crops. He would make their land desolate, void, empty. The very same thing that the earth came out of, these are the curses upon man who they live apart from God. How interesting. The only hope for fallen man is to call on the name of the Lord for salvation. John 3, 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Speaking of Jesus. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. 
dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, following the prince and the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for it is the God who commands light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That's how people are saved. Whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10 says. Whoever, whoever agrees with God that they're sinner and they call on his name. Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk in the children of the light. In fact, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1.13 says, those who are born again. Ephesians 5.11 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Did not Jesus say, you're the light of the world? A city that set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel but on a lampstand, and to give light in all who are in the house, Matthew 5, 14 and 15. Now we're born again, we're light. We used to be in darkness. We live in a dark world. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but powers against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And therefore you and I must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, for no one engages in warfare, engages himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has enlisted him. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. We're soldiers. Colossians 1, 13, he's delivered us from the power of darkness, as I said, into the kingdom of his dear son. Listen to Jesus. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. And you have this principle throughout Scripture, light and darkness. Darkness is satanic. Light is God's kingdom. You've got chaos. You've got destruction. You've got self-will. You've got rebellion and darkness. Only God can give shape to your life, order, purpose. The deep was uninhabited, in its beginning state. Nothing was there. It's all the same. Notice third and last. The Spirit of God was the agent to make them habitable, the earth and the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God, notice, is the third person of the Trinity. We've seen this before. The Trinity has already been mentioned in verse 1, Elohim, uh, Al one, Ella two, Elohim, compound unity three or more. And so every time the word Elohim is the creator God. They're mentioned, but the Trinity is involved. The word used for the spirit of God is Ruach, which can be used for wind or spirit. But the majority of times it is always used for the spirit of God. And the context again is going to tell you whether it's the spirit of God or a wind. To interpret the word as wind is to attribute creation to mere physical wind. In other words, that this wind that God made created something. <laughs> When's the last time you saw a windstorm uh, make a car or a house? Context, context, context. This is the philosophy of evolutionists, that non-life can produce life. 
That order comes from disorder. The com- complex forms come from simple forms as they evolve. No. And this being against all physical, verifiable evidence in the world around us. Willfully ignoring the principles and laws of true science. Science in its true form and laws and principles in nature defy evolution. The syntax reveals a threefold parallel. The earth was without form and void. Then you have darkness on the face of the deep. And then you have the third parallel. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. This is no mere wind, but the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, doing his part in creation. Now notice the Spirit of God was the one working to bring about the finished state of the earth for man's dwelling. The Spirit of God first had to separate the earth from the water and let the dry land appear, as we saw in verse 9. The Spirit of God hovered, underline that word. It means to flutter or to oscillate back and forth, circular, over the water. This is the image of an eagle over her chicks to stimulate them so as to take them up in her wings and teach them how to fly. You find it in Deuteronomy 32.11. And God uses that as how he led Israel in the wilderness, care for them. The purpose is obvious. For the process of creation here by the Spirit of God, from the unfinished state to the finished state, he's chiseling away, if you will, if you can use that imagery, working on shaping and forming to bring the earth to its finished product. Now, the Spirit of God, notice, is working in conjunction with the commands of the Word of God. Very important. All right? The repeated command formula, then God said eight times, verse 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, 26, eight times, God said, This was to be the pattern and formula for God's dealing with man from Adam to the present day. God speaks and the Spirit brings it about. Wow. (laughs) There's the principle. God speaks, God reveals, the Spirit brings it about. They go hand in hand. The Word of God reveals His will, His mind, His purpose, while the Holy Spirit illuminates, enables a man demonstrating the true evidence of being God and being in fellowship with God. Now, the testimony of the three persons of the Godhead being involved in the creation opens up the book by the declarative statement of creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, the three persons, the Trinity. Now he focuses on the Spirit's part in verse 2. But they're in conjunction from verse 3 in the process of the word God declaring and the Spirit. Interesting. Now, the testimony of the second person of the Godhead is given to us, and it goes way beyond creation up to creation. You've read it, but some of you don't know it was the second person of the Godhead. Listen, write down Proverbs 8, 22 through 31. I'm going to walk you through it. Listen closely. Listen, this is verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his ways before he, his works of old. 
before the works of all, before creation. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning before there was ever an earth. Verse 23. Ooh. When there was no depth, I was brought forth. Depth is the ocean. When there was no fountains abounding with water. Verse 24. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. Verse 25. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. Verse 26. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. Now he enters creation. But up to verse 26 is before creation. Now verse 26 is when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew the circle on the face of the deep. Verse 27. When he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep. Verse 28. Verse 29 now, when he assigned to the seas its limits so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked at the foundations of the earth. Verse 29. Verse 30. Then I was beside them as a master craftsman. Wow. Here he uses the imagery I just used. A master craftsman shifting away, cutting away. And I was daily as delight rejoicing always before him. He's talking about God, the Father. There's the Son and the Holy Spirit in verse 2. Verse 31 says, rejoicing in his inhabited world and my delight was with the sons of men. Now he's talking about the Garden of Eden. There you have in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22 through 31, you have the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, speaking of his presence before creation from everlasting to everlasting, he's eternal, into the creation, into the garden. You have the three persons of the Godhead. Amazing. Rob Jastrow director of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, Goddard Institute, right? And he wrote in 1979, listen, in dismay of the scientists who are brought to their own method back to the point beyond uh, which they cannot go. Listen to his words. Quote, there is a kind of religion in science. It is the religion of a person who believes there is order and harmony in the universe. Every event can be explained in a rational way as the product of some previous event. The religion's faith of the scientists is violated by the discovery that the world had a beginning under conditions in which the known laws of physics are not valid. And as a product of forces or circumstances we cannot discover. At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who have, has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by the band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. A godly scientist who sees the scriptures as an awesome revelation of truth and sees only the laws and principles of science verifying it, not contradicting it. As the Spirit of God was active in creation, hovering over the face of the deep, the ocean. So the Holy Spirit was attempting to be active in the hearts of man prior to the flood, as we'll see, in order that they might experience life as God intended it, beginning with Adam and Eve. But they, unlike the physical earth, 
had a free will, and they grieved the Spirit of God, as Genesis 6, 5 says. So every person ever born, though they are sinning and sinners by nature, God has not left man without a witness to reveal himself in the need of salvation. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, through creation in Romans 1, 20. Let me read you Psalms. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, the stars, the planets, creation. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of its chambers, and rejoices like a strong man who runs its race. Its rising is from one end up to the other heaven. And its circuits, and the sun does have a circuit, to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Some even believe that these verses teach that the gospel is proclaimed in the stars, astronomy. And there are books, and I'm reading one, it's, a, it's kind of fascinating. Which means that astrology is a corruption of the gospel message in astronomy. Interesting. So through creation, through conscience, Romans 2.12, and through history, Jesus Christ came and died for the world. And the gospel is preached. That's how people are saved. As the Spirit of God was active to create the earth and upon the deep of the waters to form them with design and purpose, so the Spirit of God would reverse the process in the judgment of the flood. He took all this chaotic condition, okay, if you will, and he formed and shaped it. And in judgment, he took the very water and covered the earth all over again. Does it click, the parallel? Interesting. The Holy Spirit would be preparing the creatures for the day, for the ark. It says, they will come to you, Genesis 6.20. God's in control. The animals came to Noah. Genesis 6, 17, the Holy Spirit would use the deep waters that had covered the earth prior to the creation to cover all the earth once again in judgment for their sinful rebellion. You see this continuous pattern, but certainly at the flood. They knew God, but they did not want to glorify Him as God, but they corrupted the sex roles and worshiped the creation more than the Creator, Romans 1, 21 through 27 says. They knew God. They didn't want to serve God. They corrupted the creation. The Word of God and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit take a person from spiritual formlessness and emptiness to a life of transformation and new creation as we have here in the beginning. Now, do we have one or two creations here? <laughs> We've only one. The Spirit of God was the agent to make the earth and the deep, the deep ocean inhabitable. This is verse 2, which describes the unfinished state of the earth prior to the finished product of creation from these three perspectives. The earth was uninhabitable in its beginning state. The deep was uninhabitable in its beginning state. And the Spirit of God was the agent to make the earth and the deep ocean habitable. That's all it is saying. 
and then from verse 3 to the end, it gives you the process of that forming and shaping. God speaks simply, and He speaks to simple people, not scholars alone, common persons. Pastor Xavier Reese and the sovereignty of God when it comes to creation. And you can request a CD copy of today's important study from the book of Genesis titled One Creation or Two for only $4. Now this also contains the material Pastor Xavier talked about the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is One Creation or Two. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station when you're in touch. Did God include evolution in His creation plan? Join Pastor Xavier Reese as he brings us the answer on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com